0: Amen. <clears throat> Good morning. Good um, Fun fact about me is that I still work for the same family that hired me right out of high school 33 years ago. Crazy, right? Yeah. Well, 10 of those years, I worked for my boss. He was an auto dealer. And so um, for 10 years, I, I did that with him. But then he sold all of his car dealerships, and he bought a building in Aliso Viejo. And so for 23 years, I have been in Aliso Viejo, he had an antique car museum, and that's where I have housed my office space for 23 years. Well, about five years ago, my boss passed away, unfortunately, um, but the family has kept me on. I still work for his wife and his three grown children. I manage their estate, um, their bills, their finances, um, their investments, and so my office is still there, although his son recently purchased the building, and he is building a restaurant. So my office space that I've had is being totally destroyed. And I'm having to move to another place within the building so that I can house and continue to do the work for his family that I do. So in the process of this, the last couple of months, what I've had to do is I've had to go through my office and clean house. So I had to get all of these shredder bins and start going through all of these files that I've had for 23 years and decide what is going to stay and what is going to go. And, you know, it's funny, going through all of this, um, this time, it's given me a time to reflect back on my boss's life, doing the spring cleaning. I've been going down memory lane, all of his trips that I've helped him plan, um, his investments gone good and bad, all of these different things. But at the end of the day, none of it really mattered. Most of that stuff went into the shredder bin. Someone wrote a book on his life, and it was titled Living the American Dream. And, you know, it's funny. Most society, they would look at his life, and they would be like, he lived the American dream. He had it all. He had money. He had fame. um, he, He lived this amazing life, right? But that's really not how he felt. I knew him very closely. And what's great about this book that someone wrote on his life, there was one chapter where they interviewed him, and they titled it about living for Jesus. And there was a quote in there that my boss said, and when they asked him, he said, you know, many people will say that Jesus is in their life. He said, but for me, Jesus is my life. And that's what identified him. And as I reflected on all those memories over the last 33 years and staring at my empty office, I thought, really, at the end of our lives, does it come down to these two choices, what matters and what doesn't? Because I can tell you, I filled many, many, many bins of trash with things that did not matter. So everything that has value and meaning in this life, it's summed up in the life of Jesus, and we know that. And that's exactly what Paul is going to talk to us about today. So I'd like for all of you to open up your Bibles. We're going to look today at Colossians 2, and we're going to go through verses 8 through 15. So open up your Bibles, your computers, and follow along with me as I read the passage. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, to think that we have this letter, this letter that Paul wrote to, to the Colossians. I mean, letters are really intimate and personal, and how special it is that we can see this. And we know that Paul's been encouraging these new Christians, right? He's been encouraging them in their walk. But we come to a place in this letter where he has gotten word from Epaphras that there's some kind of false teaching going on. And there's, we don't know exactly what this false teaching is, but most scholars would agree it was some type of syncretism, which means it's different um, cultural thoughts, different religious thoughts, cultural ideas, and they're kind of meshing together with the gospel message. And we we have that in our society today, right? We hear a lot of that. Like, we have um, ideas in our culture that tell us that it's not just about what the Bible teaches. And whatever this was, it was an attack on the sufficiency of Christ alone. And Paul said, we can't have any of this. And so in this passage, Paul is going to warn them, especially in verse 8, In verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Well, this word philosophy, it's made up of two words. Um, Philosophy is phileo and sophia. Phileo means wisdom, or love, and sophia means wisdom. So what Paul's talking about is the love of wisdom in this passage. And he's concerned that the Colossians are coming in and they're getting a different kind of wisdom. They're following wisdom of the world, and they're not following the wisdom as it is according to Christ. Remember what Paul had said in Col- Col- Colossians 2.3. He said, in him, Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we know that all wisdom and knowledge comes from who? Christ, right? Not cultural, not the world. It comes from Christ and his word. And we face this issue today. We are bombarded all around us with ideas on the news, on the internet, on social media, with our friends, with our family. I'm sure a lot of you probably heard it at Thanksgiving, around your Thanksgiving table, when you have friends and family that come around you that aren't Christians and they bombard you with these ideas in our culture of things that, the way that we should be living our lives, the things that we should be placing our trust in. You and I are either going to rely on the wisdom of our culture or we're going to rely on the wisdom of Christ and God alone through his word. And that's the choice we're going to have to make. And as Christians, number one on our outline, I put it this way, you need to keep your focus on Christ. As I've gotten older, my eyesight is not as good as it used to be. During the day, I can drive perfectly fine, but at night, it is no bueno. I have to have my glasses. And the reason being is because for some reason, Lights that come at me, I, I get, I can't see. And so when I drive at night, typically I have to have my glasses on, first of all. And second of all, I, I stay in one lane and I look at the car right in front of me and I, I'm that person now. I am that old person that stays in that one lane. <laughs> Don't make fun of those people because it's, they're keeping you safe on the road. So I'm in that road and I stay focused because all those lights around me, they take my focus off and it can become very dangerous. And the world can distract us like that. We've got all kinds of things that are coming at us left and right from the internet, from TV, from books, from friends. And if we don't keep our focus on Christ, it could be very dangerous. And that's what we see in our passage. And that's exactly what Paul is concerned about. When he says in verse 8, see to it, that word see to it, it's an imperative verb. And really what it means, it's a command. It means look out, watch out, be careful. It's a command. He's, he's warning them. It's not a suggestion. It's something that he's warning them about because he knows the danger that lies ahead if they don't watch out. And this word, it's continually. And so it, means, it doesn't mean just watch out just one time. It doesn't mean just watch out when you're a new Christian. It means that you need to continually watch out and be aware of this false teaching that can come at you at any time. And for those of you that have um, teenagers, my daughter, Hannah recently starting started driving this year and I can tell you it's terrifying right you have someone that you love very much and they're going to get into a car and they're going to start driving around on the road and you know what I say to her every single time before she leaves the house watch out beware right watch out be careful and she said mom when are you going to stop telling me to watch out I'm like I'm not I'm not going to tell you to stop watching out in fact when it's raining outside I tell my husband to watch out I call my parents and I tell my dad to watch out. It's not because they're not good drivers, it's because we need to be defensive drivers, right? accidents happen and we have to be alert and we have to be watching out for other people on the road. And as Christians, it's the same way. We need to watch out. We need to beware because there's other people and other ideas are going to come in and they're going to try to snatch away what you believe to be true. And that's exactly what Paul says. He's saying, watch out, see to it that no one takes you captive. And that no one means no one, not anyone. It could be a friend. It could be a family. It could be the TV, the radio, a book you're reading. It could even be a pastor that says, watch out that no one takes you captive. And that word captive is um, being kidnapped. And so we want to make sure that we are being everything that we are filtering it through the Bible. And that's exactly what they did in, in uh, Berea, right? Paul was giving them the word of God in Acts 17.11 and what did they do? It says in Acts 17, 11, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. That should be the attitude of all of us. We need to be going to God's word and filtering everything that we hear about, everything that we learn through God's word to make sure that it's true. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us fall for Satan's attempt that he did in Genesis 3, where a lot of people say, I mean, did God really say that? Right? We hear that a lot. Did God really say that women can't be preachers? I mean, we're living in this world now where um, the world is constantly changing, right? Things that we used to think was like, oh, that's horrible. Now it's normal in our society, right? And so for a woman to be a preacher, how can you say that? Did God really say that? Did God really say that marriage has to be between a man and a woman? Did God really say that you can't have sex outside of marriage? Did God really say anything about gender? You know what, Stacy? You're not being very Christ-like. Because I think Jesus is all about love, and you're not being about love right now. The world we live in is ever-changing, but God's word is consistent. It was the same yesterday. It's the same today, and it's going to be the same tomorrow. And we need to make sure that we are filtering everything through the Bible. I love that at Compass Bible Church, our number one distinctive is the Bible is central. And we must always go to God's word for everything. So it says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And like I said, that word um, captive means to carry away and plunder. It's to be kidnapped. And Paul is saying, watch out. Watch out that this way of thinking that's infiltrating your society and your world, that it can take you like a prisoner of war. It can kidnap your mind. And we see a lot of that that happens even with our kids going to school, and they go away to college, and they get indoctrinated into society and life, and they come back, and, and they don't take the Bible as God's word to be true. And Paul can't fathom that. He can't stand the thought that these false ideas would come in and it would take the Colossians away from their confidence feeling that they are complete in Christ. Paul says something similar in Galatians 4.8. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul says that this worldly wisdom, it's empty, it's not true, and it's not reliable. That's what the word empty deceit means that he's talking about. This philosophy, it's empty deceit. Empty deceit means baited hook. It's like if you're fishing. You put a lure on the end, right? It's, it's this bait, this baited hook that you put in to go catch this fish. And this fish is deceived, right? It comes up, it grabs it, it thinks it's going to get food, but you end up eating it instead, right? It's, it's deceptive. That's exactly what that empty deceit means. It looks like it's going to be something great, but you're lied to and it's destructive. Hannah and I went to get our hair done a few weeks ago and I was talking about this passage um, with my hairdresser and she's a Christian and she said, you know, it's so funny you're talking about this. She goes, because lately, she's had clients that she's had for 20, 23 years and she has seen them go through their life of, these are my dreams and my aspirations. I want to get this job, and I you know, want to have children, and they got this beautiful house on the lake, and they got all this stuff. But they come into her chair, and they sit down, and they say, I feel so empty. Because that's what it is. Why is that? It's because the philosophy of the world is empty. It will not complete you. To Paul, it's unthinkable that you would ever consider choosing philosophy for men or the world and wisdom from the world as opposed to that in Christ. So how can we be better at knowing the wisdom of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank goodness we have women's Bible study, right? Stephanie has worked so hard at creating our lessons. And so my question to you is, do you do your homework? It's right there for you, right? Right? Do you do your DBR? Daily Bible reading. You have an opportunity every day to be in God's Word. Partners Program. If you have not done Partners, sign up with someone that is a more mature Christian that can walk you through your Christian walk and you can grow closer to God. We have CBI right across the street. We've got classes there that you can take apologetics, um, world and cults and world studies, church. If you are not in a Bible-teaching church, please get in one. We have Focal Point Radio. Did you know on Focal Point Radio, if you have a question, you can search by topic. If there's something that you're not sure about, go and search by topic and listen to those sermons. There's even one of my favorite things that Pastor Mike used to always do was ask Pastor Mike. And you can actually put that in Focal Point, too. And he, will, he has many, many answers to a lot of your questions that you have that you're not sure about and a lot of us sometimes you know we have real deep hard problems in our life if it's marriage um, if it's things with your job if it's addiction instead of going to counseling but that the world is going to tell you how you can get through that get some good solid biblical counseling that's going to take you back to god's word and that's going to show you how you can navigate this life Paul wants them and us to look upon Christ as the only source that they need who can provide for all of those needs. So he points them to Christ's sufficiency. And he does that in the in the next verses in 9 through 15. So starting in verse 9, Paul says, For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This word fullness means Complete. The whole entire deity of who God is was filled 100% completely in Jesus Christ. This word full, complete, it's like a glass of water. If you fill up a glass of water full, can you add anything else to it? No, you can't. It's completely full. But unlike a glass of water where you drink it and it goes empty, it stays full. And so this word here, it means continually. Jesus is fully God, forever. But how does that apply to us? Well, if you look at verse 10, it says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is referring to your time of conversion. So when you placed your faith in Christ, you became 100% filled in him. Now This passage is only... For those of you that are in him. That action is, uh, again, it continues today. So at that point of conversion, you had Jesus Christ in you 100%. If you are in him today, you are 100% in Jesus Christ. And you will remain in him 100% forever. The Colossians needed to understand that because they were complete in him, they didn't need any of these other rituals. They didn't need circumcision. They were completely and 100% filled in Christ. You can't add more to him. You are complete in him. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1. There's absolutely no reason for us to turn to anything else but Christ if you're complete in him. The world is going to tell you that you need other stuff, but you don't. Jesus is all you need. And I love how Peter says it in 2 Peter 1:3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It says, all things, not some things, right? He has given us everything we need, all that we need that pertains to what? To life. He hasn't even gotten to godliness yet. He said everything to life. Everything that you need in your life right now, God has 100% already given to you, and you have it. And he's also given you everything you need to be godly. So what else could you possibly need if you already have that? Number two on your outline, I put it like this. Realize Christ is more than enough. And so my question is to you, is do you believe that? If you have repented of your sins and you have placed your trust in Christ, you are now in him. And so is who Jesus is enough for you? And is what Jesus has done enough for you? So if you never get married, or your marriage isn't what you want or what you expected, can you say Jesus is still enough? If you don't get pregnant, is Jesus still enough? If you're not financially set and you're really, really struggling with finances, is Jesus still enough? If your medical diagnosis is not what you thought it was going to be and you know you're going to go down a really, really, really hard road, is Jesus still enough? If your kids aren't meeting the standards of what you hoped would happen in their lives, is Jesus still enough? And if you really, really thought about it and you're reminded of what Jesus did for you, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he promised you eternal life forever to live with him, and he gave his life up for you then you'd know that Jesus is enough. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. Many of us desire things, and we can get frustrated in life because we are begging God for our circumstances to change, and we don't understand why things come so easily to everybody else. I mean, we see it all on social media, right? I mean, their lives are perfect. Well, you know, it's not. And I love how my hairdresser always says it to Hannah. She goes, you know, everything is filtered now. Nothing is perfect in everybody's life. So you're upset things you're not you don't feel fulfilled your life isn't turning out the way that you thought it would and Paul knows how that feels right In this passage Paul is given a thorn in his flesh and we don't know exactly what that thorn was if it was something physical or if it was something that he wanted that he wasn't getting but he begged God to change his circumstances And I can tell you if anyone deserved for God to answer that prayer it was probably Paul right This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Ladies, can you say that? Everything that you need to be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be, you already have it. Everything that you need to be the kind of wife you need to be, you have it. To be the mom, to be the employee, anything that you need in life, God has already supplied that for you. You have everything that you need to be what he wants you to be. So whatever life situation you're in, God has given you everything for that already. You don't need something more, and you should never turn to anything else, anyone but Christ. He gave you his spirit. He gave us his word. And it's not about the here and now, right? What does Pastor Mike always say? It's about the then and there. And the thing is, is he's there, and he's preparing a home for each and every one of us. And in verse 10, Paul says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul wanted the Colossians and us to know that they don't need to look anywhere else. Jesus is the fullness of God, who is the head over all, and we are complete in him. And I love in the rest of this passage all the prepositional phrases that Paul gave us, all of the in-hims and the with-hims in here. It shows this intimate relationship that he has given to us in Christ. So starting in verse 11, it says, in him... Having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. Wow. Now I want to say, in this part of the passage, this only applies to you if you're in him. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a Christian is in him, And one that is not, is not. This passage is talking about circumcision and baptism. And I want you to understand, this isn't the circumcision of the flesh or being dunked in water. This is an outward um, expression of their commitment to God. Those were an outward expression of their commitment to God. And there might have been some, like I said in the in the Colossians, that they were thinking that they had to do these things for them to be complete in Christ. And so that's what Paul is telling them in this passage. He's reminding them this kind of circumcision, it's, it, it's not what will save you. The, what, the circumcision that's going to save you is when your heart is changed. It's a circumcision of the heart, and this is something that only God can do. It says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Have you ever seen someone operate and do a heart surgery without using their hands? No, it can't be done. God alone does that, and that's what this passage is showing us. This is something that only God can do. Only God can change the heart. He's talking about a spiritual heart transplant, where God is the surgeon and he removes your old heart and he gives you a new one. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So how did you get this heart? How did you get this brand new heart that God gave you? Well, if you're identified with Christ and you've repented of your sins and placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone, then you have this brand new heart. You have it already inside of you. In Colossians 12, it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when you placed your faith in Christ and you were identified with him, you were identified with Christ in his death. And then you were identified with him to life. You got new life. Jesus gave you brand new life. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in other words, your old self, it is dead. You have this brand new life, and it is God inside of you. If you really contemplate that, that is huge. You have a new heart, you have a new life. God completely removed the dominating power of sin over your lives. And he reminds us in this passage where you were prior to that. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God, who did it? God, not you, God made you alive together with him. When you're dead, can you respond? No, you cannot respond when you're dead. You are unable to respond to God when you were not saved, but God made you alive. He forgave us all of our trespasses. It says all. That means everything that you have done, past, present, and future, he has forgiven you for for that. Verse 14, it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This gives us a visual of a certificate of debt that was owed, that we owed, right? For those of you that own a home, um, you have documents that you sign of a debt that you owe, right? You have this huge debt of a mortgage that you promise that you're going to pay back. And that's what this is talking about. This is a signed acknowledgement of a debt that we owe God because of our sin against a perfect and holy God. Before coming to Christ, we were indebted to God with a huge debt that we could never pay. And it says the wages of sin is death. It's hard to think the money that we owe on a mortgage, if that was to be wiped clean, how good that would feel, right? If someone came in and said, you know what, I'm going to pay off your mortgage today, you'd be like, yes, that is awesome. Well, this is saying he paid off our debt of death. He gave us eternal life. We violated God's laws, but God erased that debt completely. That verb right there it says that he set it aside actually means he erased it. Your debt, your sin, he erased it. He wiped it totally clean, not partially, but completely. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul says that Christ has triumphed over every enemy and their forces no longer hold any authority or power over any of you. We have the victory that Christ earned on our behalf. He did it for me, and he did it for you. And if you are a Christian, and you are in him, you have a new heart, you have a new life, you died with Christ, you've been resurrected with him, and he has nailed every single one of your sins to the cross. And if you really think that through, that's something to celebrate. You have a new life. We need to celebrate that every single day, this new life we have. And that's number three on your outline, is celebrate your new life in Christ. The song came on the radio as I was driving here this morning, and I probably looked really funny to people that were driving next to me because I was celebrating in the car, just thinking about God's grace. If you think about your new life you have, celebrate it. When you live each day understanding what you have, who you are, what God did, and what he is still doing in your life, it should change your perspective on life and give you confidence that everything that you need to live victoriously through Christ, you already have. That should cause you to want to tell others about Jesus, right? Sharing the gospel with your family and your friends. If you have this new life, it's something that you automatically want to share with everybody. As a Christian, we should have the same interest in this life as a dead person. We should only care about eternal things because those are the only things that matter. Those are these other things that consume your time and your energy and the world and life. I can tell you those things, where are they going to go? In the trash. They're going to go in the shredder. And you know, sometimes it's wise for us to do a spiritual cleansing, I think. As I went through those files in my office and I was throwing things away, I kept thinking how much none of these things mattered. And it's an opportunity, knowing that we have this new life in Christ, to think about the things in our old self, the things that you're holding on to in that old life, things that you need to get rid of. We have a new life, and some of the old stuff, it's time for us to toss it out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Christ has given us everything that we need to live in this new life. So if that's true, and if God's word is true, that means that we need to take out of our vocabulary the word, I can't. You think, I can't stop sinning in that area. Or I can't stop this bad habit. I cannot reconcile with that person. If you're saying that, then you don't believe God's word. Really, you need to change your vocabulary to, I won't, because that's what it comes down to, because you can. God is giving you everything you need, and you can. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not some things, all things through him who strengthens me. As a Christian, you've been delivered from the power of sin. You've been delivered from the penalty of sin. In the future, thank goodness, we are going to be delivered from the presence of sin, right? Something really exciting to look forward to. But I'm not going to lie to you guys. It was really hard to pack up my office. It's every single time. I had a lot of special memories in there. And for those of you that know me know how much I loved my boss. My kids grew up there. Both Cameron and Anna, my boss let them um, come to work with me. And he had this, like, he put put a Dutch door in, which was so funny, so that they wouldn't run out of my office, and you know, which they did anyways. They knew how to open it up. Um, And as I was packing up the office, you know, I found a lot of things that my kids did in there, too. I had some coloring pages, and um, they loved getting these little magnets that had the whole alphabet, and they would learn the alphabet, and they'd put it on my file cabinet. My filing room was big, and he made it big so that I could even have a pack-and-play in there so that my kids could take naps in my filing room. People would be like, what? You have your kids in a filing room to take naps? It wasn't like that. It was a big filing room, so it wasn't bad. Um, But as I was packing things up and I was finding all these things and I looked at my empty office, it was crazy because I had all these shredder bins over here filled with trash and I had one box of stuff that I needed to save. One box. Inside that one box, there were two important documents that I had that I needed to actually put in the fire safe. One was the deed to his home and the other was his will. And as I thought that through as I was doing this passage, I thought, you know what? For those of you that are in Christ, for those of us that are in Christ, we know where our deed is at, right? Jesus is there preparing a place for us right now. Our deed is secure. It doesn't need to be in a fire safe. The other thing is his will. And I thought, what are the things that I want to pass down? It's not the stuff that matters. Because I can tell you all that stuff in your life, it's garbage. The stuff that matters is sharing the gospel with those you love and carrying on that they need to live their life, that they are complete in Christ alone, and nothing else in this world matters. So ladies, as we live the rest of our lives, I pray that you will keep your focus on Christ, that you will realize that Christ is more than enough, and every single day, wake up with a commitment to celebrate your new life in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his letter. Thank you for his love for them and for us and that we have your word. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins and canceling our debt forever, God. God, may we be women that we think about that, that we know that you're enough, that we live our lives for you and you alone, God. And God, I pray for those out there that don't know you, for those of you that are not in him, God. I just I pray that this is the day. Today is the day that you will let yourself go, you will repent, you will place your full trust in Christ alone and what he has done for you so that you can start living your life for him alone because you are complete in him, God. May our groups be transparent today. I pray for all of us as we go to our groups and keep us safe as we leave this place. And we pray all these things in your perfect and holy name. Amen. You are dismissed.